0: Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle for sponsoring Motley Fool Answers. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get their free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. Also, thanks to Slack for supporting The Motley Fool. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop, and key information is always at their fingertips. Learn more at slack.com. Motley Full Answers. I'm Allison Southwick and I'm all alone again. This week I'm taking you back one last time to our member event in Denver to learn about how great business cultures go bad and the red flags that might impact performance. All that, and again, that's really it on this week of Motley Full Answers. Culture is a valuable differentiator and can make a good business great, but culture isn't static. It's always changing and sometimes not for the better. Brian Hinman, portfolio manager of Motley Fool Asset Management, a sister company of the Motley Fool, spoke recently at our Denver member event about the top reasons a company's culture suffers and how declining performance follows. Also, the red flags to watch out for.
1: In 2013, there was a study done by Boozing Company that uh, spoke that surveyed 2,200 executives and 60% of those 2,200 executives said that that culture was more important than strategy. What's bonkers about that to me is if you think about what's taught in MBA programs and the curriculum, it's highly focused on strategy and barely touches on culture. Management teams, however, know and believe that culture is really, really important. In his book, The Culture Cycle, James Heskett shows that more than 50% of the difference in profits between similar companies is explained by culture. An easy way to see this is something like Southwest Airlines. Southwest Airlines is lauded for its culture, is perennially profitable, and every other airline struggles to make money. Commonly, uh, culture is the attribution there. So it's nice to know that culture is important, but that's not really enough for us as investors or founders. Uh, It's not clear what the link is between culture and results. So how is it that culture, good or bad, leads to results, good or bad? For a little help here, I think we can turn to this old article from Fortune. Uh, This article was published in 1999 by a guy named Ram Sharan. and Ram Sharan you may have heard of he's an author a consultant and he's widely viewed as sort of a business guru anyway he studied dozens of high-profile CEOs uh, and leaders of blue-chip companies people that as soon as they took the reins you would have totally expected success I mean they had uh, all the background they had great companies uh, that they were that they were behind but they all failed for one reason or another. Here's his conclusion on why they failed. It's bad execution. It's as simple as that. So it's not that they had the wrong strategy. It's not that they got disrupted. It's not that their end markets turned and they couldn't keep up. It's not that they were too aggressive and did something dumb with shareholder capital. Sharon found that It was all about execution they simply couldn't drive their employees to get things done so for us it seems like that fits nicely into our little puzzle here execution could be the link between culture and results I think it is but I think we need to look a little deeper into that link to see how it works So my working definition of culture is that it's a set of beliefs and expectations that drive how a group behaves every day. And you can double click on that uh, and say that values are what you believe is important. It's that set of beliefs and expectations. And the norms are how you behave, it's how a group behaves to get things done every day. And that of course leads to action, which gets results and execution. Actions are the motion that leads to execution. So I want to highlight uh, an example that you might might know, uh, that might be familiar to you, uh, to sort of see how these things interlock and work together. Uh, Zappos is an online shoe retailer that was purchased by Amazon. Uh, It is widely lauded for having one of the most unique and powerful and effective cultures. Now, a core value of Zappos is customer service. As they describe it, they try to provide to live and deliver wow experiences. So it's not just customer service, it's wow experiences. The norms that they use uh, to govern those values uh, are simply, they tell their employees to use their judgment. Use their judgment to deliver wow experiences. If you think it's okay, do it. So to see how that has translated into actions and to execution, uh, I'll tell you a story about Zappos. So in its early days, everyone thought it was crazy to sell shoes on the internet, right? You've got to try shoes on. Zappos said, we don't care, we'll make the customer experience smooth, we'll get them to trust us, we'll make returning shoes easy so that people aren't afraid to order and try. Early on they were trying to land Skechers as a client and Skechers is a huge uh, shoe manufacturer. And so a bunch of Skechers executives came to Zappos headquarters and spent spent the day with all Zappos employees and Tony Shea, the CEO, uh, basically beat them over the head saying, we have the best culture. You won't believe how great our culture is. It leads to the best customer experience. Anytime your customers interact with the Sketchers brand through Zappos, they're going to have a really good experience. So after a full day of this, I think the, the Sketchers executive team was sort of beat down and they said, what the heck is the deal with this culture? I'm tired of hearing about it. Let's test it. So they got back to their hotel room and they phoned up Zappos customer service. So I imagine the customer service agent sort of picked up the phone and said, this is Zappos, how may I help you with your shoes? And the Skechers guy said, uh, we'd like to order a pizza. And I think the person was probably taken aback a little bit. And they said, well, this is Skechers and we, we sell shoes here. Can I help you with shoes? And they said, we'd really like to order a pizza. And so, eventually, the customer service agent said, hold on a second. And I think the Skechers team got nervous and hung up their phone. 30 minutes later, a pizza arrived at their door. And it had a sticky note on top. And the sticky note said, enjoy your pizza, compliments of Zappos. We also sell shoes. <laughs> so the, the point here is that what is a wow experience, right, and how is that internalized by Zappos employees? And, and then you see the norm, the expectation of how that customer service agent was supposed to behave to deliver a wow experience. Now, I imagine some of you in your jobs would think twice before ordering or buying anything on the corporate credit card for fear you won't get reimbursed. But the norm at Zappos was such that that employee had no fear that that was going to be reimbursed to them. They believed in their best judgment that delivering that pizza would be a wow experience. They didn't know who was on the other end, but that that would make them a loyal Zappos customer in the future. Values, norms, and actions. So you probably, it's probably easy to understand how values shape how a company is built. But how powerful are those norms? tell you another story about uh, a scary experiment that was done. Um, so the setup is a public restroom, and there's a camera uh, posted in the bathroom facing the door and the, and the sink. And the first uh, group of subjects that come in to the bathroom uh, are there when someone else is in the bathroom doing bathroom things, whatever, whatever they're doing. Of that group of people, 90% of them wash their hands on the way out. The second group of subjects came into the public restroom and no one else was there. They were alone. What percentage of people do you think ended up washing their hands when they were alone? I'm not telling you this to scare you from from eating the bowl of peanuts. (laughs) I'm not telling you this because it's gross and I'm going for shock value here. This highlights the power of norms. How we are supposed to behave, how we are expected to behave in certain situations. Now, 90% versus 16% in the face of complete strangers suggests that norms are pretty important and a key link in the values norms results action. Yes? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but I'm, I'm willing to guess that uh, we men take the brunt of uh, of the bad there. <laughs> so, how powerful can norms be when you're not with a stranger? When you're with coworkers that you respect, or friends, or your boss, very, very powerful. So it's easy to see how this linkage goes: culture drives execution, which leads to results. Now. I've got good news and bad news coming at you, and I'm gonna borrow a little bit from biology and microbiology to make this next point. So, from biology, you've probably heard of natural selection, uh, survival of the fittest, right? So by the time the company comes public and we can invest in it, it's probably proven that it's got a pretty decent culture, right? It has survived its early testing years and the culture has sustained it, such that it can be successful enough to have an IPO, become a public company, and be valued at hundreds of billions or billions of dollars. So most of the companies that we see have pretty good culture. In microbiology, though, it's easy to see that cultures can change. So when you, uh, scientists are, are doing experiments and uh, you know, looking under a microscope, they're often adding uh, foreign substances to see how things react. And my point here is that cultures are alive and part of the world that they live in. And every day, they get contaminated a little bit, or can get contaminated a little bit. Their environments change, the people change, cultures change. So we can't get lazy and assume that because a company is widely thought to have a good, effective culture, that it's going to stay that way. To be better investors, we have to understand what can fracture culture in ways that hurt its ability to execute and will ultimately lead to bad results. The tough part here is that it's really hard because if we look at the financial statements, we know that those are backward looking. So they're probably too late in the game to give us the flags we need. And what we really want to do is understand those values and norms and see when they're changing, because that is the linkage from culture to execution. The problem is we don't work at the company. It's really hard to get those insights. So the best we can do, I think, is look for flags. And I've come up with a few flags based on studying some uh, some companies that uh, have had their cultures get rocked and have had results that suffer because of it. So I want to go through that framework with you, do a case study, and then pick on a company from the partnership portfolio.
0: Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Save time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desk or phone. This isn't some one-size-fits-all software. With industry-specific support for a broad range of business, NetSuite works the way your business works. Motley Fool podcast listeners can get their free guide titled, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth. You'll learn how to acquire new customers, increase profits, and finally get real visibility into your cash flow. You can get this free guide at netsuite.com. Also, thanks to Slack for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Slack is a collaboration hub for work, whatever work you do. With Slack, the right people in your team are kept in the loop, and the information they need is always at their fingertips. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels, letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need to work is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. With Slack, your team is better connected. Our team here at Motley Fool Answers is certainly better connected here. And also, pretty much every other team here at The Motley Fool, we pretty much do everything on Slack. We chat, we share files, we post emojis. More than 1,000 apps run on Slack to help us here at The Motley Fool and you get more done in your workplace. Find out more at Slack.com. Slack, where work happens. Learn more at Slack.com. That's Slack.com.
1: From the companies that I've studied, I think it'll pay for us to look at signs of arrogance and signs of troubling growth. And when there's evidence of both, we should raise a flag and we should ask if there's something amiss and if we've been thinking about the company correctly and if it might be on the precipice of something bad. So what do we mean by each of these? Arrogance is a loaded term, I realize, but I'm using it uh, in, the, in, the strictest, uh, in the strictest sense where uh, one, either a person or, or an institution, um, has an inflated, inflated view of what their capabilities are. So I'm not trying to be mean here. Um, I'm just going by the letter of the definition there. And so some signs of arrogance that I've seen uh, in companies who have had cultures that have broken uh, are where you see management behavior that's inconsistent with the values that are laid out, where you see turnover, which might suggest that norms or the way things are done are no longer what people thought they were, where the CEOs outsource execution, because remember execution is the link between culture and performance. And I don't know if you know this, but of the uh, Fortune most admired companies, Uh, Perennially, so at least I think I looked at the last 10 years, more than 50% of those most admired companies don't have a chief operating officer. The COO is the person who is responsible for execution. And what that tells me is that many of the world's best companies treat execution as one of the most critical factors a CEO should be focused on, which makes sense to me. And finally, improper incentives if they're improper incentives it it suggests that uh, maybe the company's focus is in the wrong place on metrics and not values how about signs of troubling growth well I think growth that's too fast or too slow (laughs) can be problematic so you have to think about too much growth how does a company keep up with that it's important for a culture to be able to scale as the company grows it's also important for the company's operations to be able to scale effectively. It's got to keep up. Too little growth looks a lot different. It could suggest that things are stagnant in the organization leading to a drain brain. Brain drain. Uh, It could also mean that things have just become too bureaucratic and very talented executives can't get done what they want to get done. It could signal a failure to adapt. And then inorganic growth goes back to our microbiology. Introducing foreign substances to the culture. It can cause serious problems, and it's worth tracking. So, with that laid out, let's go through an example. And this is a particularly painful example to me because I screwed it up. We had shareholder funds invested here uh, and ignored the signs or didn't see the signs and paid the price for it. I'm in good company, though, because I've got Andy Cross in the room in the back corner. Hi, Andy. And I know this is a a company that Andy was fond of as well, uh, Tom as well. So uh, I'm not in bad company here, and you know how misery loves company. So uh, let's take a look at Under Armour. (laughs) All right, so uh, what signs of arrogance might we have seen uh, in Under Armour? Well, in early 2016, Kevin Plank did something really weird. Kevin Plank is the CEO of Under Armour. Uh, he set out to change the, the, uh, the organizational structure, the share class structure of, of Under Armour. And it's very com- convoluted and confusing. But here's how it ended up shaking out. Under Armour C shares have no voting rights. They're the shares that you and I will probably get. Under Armour A shares have one vote and then there's a special Under Armour Kevin Plank share that has all the votes Why did he do this? He owned a ton of stock. He had enormous say Because of how much he owned because he was the CEO and because he was the chairman But he rigged the deck so that he has basically all the say Investors did not like it at all and they actually sued the company and then the company paid out to shareholders $59 million. So this was a costly decision by Kevin Plank. In 2013 and 2014, Plank and his management team had uh, a pretty mean streak of overpromising and under-delivering. It did seem to me like they weren't very well calibrated to what their business could actually handle. It seemed a little arrogant, honestly. They thought they were capable of much more than they actually We're able to deliver. And Plank has now anointed himself. Hi, Tom. Plank has now appointed himself the savior of Baltimore. He's built an enormous facility, his headquarters, in downtown Baltimore. He's actually become a real estate developer, buying some hotels in the area. He also bought a farm, and I'm pretty sure he makes whiskey there. I don't have any problem with Kevin Plank trying to lift Baltimore up, but it does suggest that he might think he's more capable of doing all these things than he actually is. How about turnover? Beginning in 2015, it's actually pretty shocking. I don't even know how many are up there, but there's a lot. There's even one that gives you a two-for-one when Mike and Albert Lee left together. It's been incredible turnover at Under Armour. We can't know why, but we should question whether the company is living its values, whether these talented executives were misguided on how things are done there and when they found out that they couldn't get things done the way they thought they left, or maybe it was a poor environment to work in. I don't know, but it's notable. Let's look at growth. From 2003, it's early days, to 2015, unbelievable sales growth. This was a rocket ship. This was an incredibly successful and growing company. Now, remember that Under Armour manufactures apparel, so they need physical assets and inventory to support that. And so you see the assets growing incredibly rapidly as well. The stock price, again, a rocket ship. Those early days, the company... Seem to be doing everything right. But how did the culture scale with all of that? How did their ability to manage that business scale with all of that? That might have been growth, too much growth. Since 2015, we might see too little growth at, at Under Armour. You know, sales are largely flat, given there's some acquisitions in there. And the stock price has been halved. So we might be seeing too much and too little, as well as some acquisitions. So could we have seen the culture cracking at Under Armour? I think so. And again, I didn't, <laughs> but in hindsight, I think so. The underperformance, the 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 overpromising and underdelivering started in 2013 and 2014. The mass exodus of executives started in 2015, that's that first red arrow there. If we ignored that one, that's fine. The share class issue happened in early 2016, that's that second red arrow. We may have seen that coming, but we missed it. So, you remember at the beginning of this presentation when I promised that I was gonna upset Tom, and now he's in the room? (laughs) It's that time. Uh, So, in case I don't make it out alive, I need you to remember that Tom said this and stand up for me. <laughs> so, so, what partnership portfolio company do I see flags at? Who might have a fragile culture that we should be wary of? Any guesses out there? I'm sorry? Shopify? Shopify? So I'll give Tom a little credit first. This was a harder exercise than I expected it to be. The partnership portfolio was built with culture at the forefront and so there was a lot of attention paid to finding companies that uh, have cultures that are quite honestly very impressive. Uh, So I had to do quite a bit of digging and uh, to come up with something. The company that I'm going to highlight is Square. And uh, Square is the payments company that does a heck of a lot of good for enabling small business uh, in the U.S. and increasingly around the world. You've probably encountered their payment systems um, in local businesses, possibly at a coffee shop down the street. Uh, This is a really impressive company, and I like what they're doing. However, let's take a look. What signs of arrogance do we have? Well, how many of you think that you could manage two publicly traded companies at the same time and do it well? Jack Dorsey is an incredibly impressive person. And if there's anyone who can do it, he can. But that's a heck of a lot to ask, as well as being chairman of one of those companies. Not those two. <laughs> Not those two companies. No? I, I agree. <laughs> I couldn't handle it. Square also has a dual share class structure. So you and I, as uh, as as holders of the common stock, uh, don't have very much in the way of voting rights. This is a controlled company. Again, it doesn't have to be anything wrong with that, but it's these things in, uh, in aggregate that might be a flag. When it comes to incentives, uh, top executives were paid $5 million a piece uh, last year, and I have no idea why. Yeah, it was a good year for Square, but the board of directors does not lay out transparently what they're rewarding. This is what they tell me. Judgment and discretion. How am I supposed to feel about that as a shareholder? They probably deserved it, but I'd like to know why. I'd like to know what is being rewarded. I do wonder a little bit what's driving the people at Square. In the company's IPO document, they listed this as a risk. It basically says that this IPO is going to make our employees rich. They might leave. That leads me to say, maybe they're focused too much on money and not enough on the values, not enough on changing the world for small businesses. We've also begun to see a little bit of turnover at Square. We've seen it on the executive ranks and we've seen it on the board. Now, what's curious about the board is in 2015, one of the major backers of Square left. That's very uncommon very uncommon usually when you got a lot of money tied up you want, you want to be part of the action part of the direction I'm not going to pick on Magic Johnson he's an incredible businessman actually uh, but at the time Square had one outside director and they chose it to be Magic Johnson I don't know maybe arrogant how about growth well we know Square has been an impressive performing company businesses love their product and are adopting it very very rapidly and what we see is that the company's uh, employee base has doubled over the last couple of years see Square isn't a company that requires much in the way of hard assets so I'm not worried about how their assets are growing what's relevant to this business is do they have the people The engineers to support the growth efficiently right now they've got 182 jobs so they are still hiring rapidly and I'm sure plenty of people want to work there but if you're hiring that fast if you're growing that fast can you effectively share the values that helped build your organization into what it was can you adequately enforce the norms of how we do things around here to keep things on track I don't know. And we've also seen now three acquisitions this year. So the foreign substances are starting to seep into the culture at Square. Or at least possible. So do we think Square's culture could crack? I don't know. I don't know. This is a good business. But there are some flags here. And I think it would be fun to bombard the partnership portfolio team and ask them what they think about Jack Dorsey managing two businesses, about the turnover we're starting to see, what they think of the incentive structure at Square, whether they think the acquisitions uh, are culturally aligned. These are good questions. I don't know what's going to happen. So that's the framework, the summary here is to remember that the link between culture and results is execution. And so we need to study where execution might get off track to know if there's trouble ahead. We need to remember that culture does change and we can't be lazy in just assuming that because a company has had a good, effective, strategically relevant culture in the past that that's going to persist. These things change. And finally, the things we should look out for are where there are signs of arrogance and where there might be signs of, a- of troublesome growth.
0: Oh, that's the show! Hey, we talked about stocks, so we should probably have a disclaimer. As always, The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks we talked about on the show. Don't buy and sell stocks based solely on what you heard here. Please. The show is edited culturally by Rick Engdahl. Our email is full.com Send in your questions, uh, get them in the queue for our next Mailbag episode. You can also join our Motley Fool Podcast Facebook group, or follow us on Twitter. Or, if you're really feeling generous this holiday season, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or wherever you listen. But, most importantly, above all, stay Foolish, everybody.